0: you're listening to commissioning conversations the podcast brought to you by broadcast intelligence hi and welcome to commissioning conversations i'm alice redmond
1: and i'm heather fallon and we are both reporters and researchers for the commissioner index
0: this week we're joined by the team of Cecilia Vidalty and Matt Ross from Digital Eye to discuss all things MIPCOM.
1: Eager Commissioning Conversations fans might have noticed that we've had a week off.
0: But not to worry, we're back and the reason we had a week off because we jetted off to Sunny Can, which was actually a lot warmer than it is here. And while we
1: were over there, we met up with Matt and Sophia. So hi, guys.
2: Hello. It's good to be back on. Uh, thank you for having us again. Um, it was good to see you out there as well. It was, as you say, much sunnier. Um, flying back into London through all the clouds and stuff wasn't particularly fun. And it's been pretty miserable since. So uh, <laughs> so I am missing the sunshine and the seaside, I must admit. But it was, uh, it was really, really good to see you there.
0: It's quite funny that you guys are in Bristol and we're in London. And it took us all going to Cannes to see each other in person for the first time. Definitely. I have to
3: say, though, you know, sometimes you meet people you've only met on a screen before and they look really different. You guys looked exactly how I thought you were going to look. So <laughs>
0: I'm glad. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you, same with you guys as well. Glad it it was weird to
3: be at a conference surrounded by strangers, though, wasn't it? How did you how did you guys cope with? I had a little bit of post pandemic panic for a couple of times, a couple of days
0: I, yeah, for some reason, I really was hesitant thinking that I was going to struggle. And then I got there and I was like, I forgot about anything that had happened in the past couple of years. I was like, oh, yeah, back to it. Hi, walking up to strangers. You know, Mm. it was really strange to like fall back into it that easy. I thought the airport might freak me out, but it didn't like felt absolutely normal, which was really nice. Mm. I think I would have found it
1: more overwhelming, but it was I think I went in expecting it to be so busy. But because it was quieter, that almost balanced me out a little bit. So I think one of the things that a lot of people did mention was that it definitely felt a lot quieter than it usually would. But actually, I think that was quite a good thing. It felt like every conversation that you had and everyone you met, it felt really productive and a bit less rushed. I don't know if you guys felt that.
2: I've, I've actually not been to MIT before so that was my first experience so I don't really have anything to kind of benchmark the size of it but I, I know from speaking to a lot of people that it was considerably smaller um as an event than it has been in the past and that made it quite convenient nice and easy to get in and around um and we had to get we actually got some really nice meetings you got to you know have some more in-depth conversations with people um which I think was was great uh, but yeah I, I don't actually have anything to compare it to but I do hear it, get, it gets completely crazy and uh pre-pandemic era it was it was massive
0: my last mip i was absolutely shattered by the end of it i spent about three days four days just constantly in sessions meeting people then everyone would have a drink and it was just the most exhausting thing so in a way i appreciated the slow easing back so let's move on from the kind of social side and into the more tv focused side what was everyone's key takeaways other than the quietness of it all
3: so I had a couple of things. So the first one was, I mean, it was just so clear in the conferences. And then of course there was the streamers keynote series, how much more of an emphasis there was on streaming platforms now, which wasn't a surprise for us because obviously that's what we do. We've been seeing the, the huge rise in popularity, which was kind of turbocharged by the pandemic. but. What Matt and I actually have a bit of a funny story, which was um, we tried to go and find Netflix. Um,
1: Aren't we all trying to find Netflix?
3: And it just kind of, we ended up walking around and around in circles, looking at the floor plan, uh, walking up and down stairs, walking up and down stairs. And it just made me think that there's, such this this huge hype and obviously for content makers this like incredible interest in having your content on a streaming platform. It's almost like streaming platforms have become their own unique brand of coolness or modernity. But what shocked me was I we work or I work almost exclusively in looking at streaming platforms Netflix content. What shocked me was how much other content there is out there. Walking around seeing you know, tongue-in-cheek soap operas, hearing about this new tech, AI, deep fake program, which was going to recreate Princess Diana and a French guy was going to interview them and seeing just the huge range of content, which really isn't represented if you just look at the streaming platforms. So that was eye-opening for me, I think.
0: Mm, I think a lot of what I noticed was definitely around the streamers. And it's funny that you say, you were looking for Netflix because I think what I really noticed is if we went back like a year, 18 months ago, conversations at markets like this and at conferences and events were always about Netflix, Amazon and maybe the emerging streamers as well. So like Disney Plus, Apple TV. Um, I think at the last MIP I went to, Quibi was making a big splash. And I can't believe in the time between that's launched and failed and had its catalogue bought by Roku, like, in, in a Not time it Exactly. But, yeah, the, no, the conversation was really different, so it wasn't really about SVOD services as a whole. It was also AVOD and smaller streamers and things. There was a session I went to, I think it was called, like... Something punny like stream if you want to go faster or the future of streaming. I can't quite remember what it was, but there was um, Patrick Connolly, who was formerly AMC. He made this point about how any streamer wanting to go global has almost two options. You either you either have a lot of money and a lot of funding behind you and you take this local but global approach that Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, all of Paramount+, Plus, all of those are kind of taking where you go in and you make content targeted at that territory and make it for that territory in those languages and things like that or you have to go really really niche so the AMC man was saying um you know well he's not AMC anymore but formerly AMC was saying um Shudder which was the AMC horror platform that does really well globally because it is so niche that horror fans around the world are want to see it even though their programming isn't you know in Spain they still have Spanish members because they want to see this like very targeted horror programming. And I think in the um, Pluto TV keynote as well, you know, they were saying that the benefit, the reason why people come to them as an AVOD is because they have this curation of these super niche channels. And afterwards, I mean, I haven't really paid that much attention to Pluto. And obviously, yeah, we are commissioning focus in what we do, but the channels are so niche there's like a dog the bounty hunter channel that just plays dog the bounty hunter episodes and they were saying there's like a doctor who one and things like that and I was like that makes sense like if you don't have the budgets to maybe program you know this really broad range instead you need to go very very niche and I think that was such a big topic of conversation across so many things especially in regards to streaming
2: yeah, I was, at, I was at the Pluto talk as well. And I thought that, that, that was another pit that I, I picked up on that as well. Um, almost as a kind of a, a USP for them outside of, you know, in, in when they're competing with the, the likes of Netflix, etc. Because they have more curated content library and they don't rely on the algorithm approach as much. So I thought that was really interesting. And it's definitely something we've seen backed up in our data and the viewing data as well. When you look at trying to understand how content drive subscriptions and things like that, which is we'll be doing a lot of work on that at the moment. And um, you know, you, you start to see niche stuff kind of over-indexing and outperforming in terms of subscription growth. And, and that's because you do have these kind of fans that are that are on for that. So I think there is a market there for people with those with that channels approach to get, you know, everyone's ultimately everyone's uh, money is the same, isn't it? If you just want to watch anime or you want to watch all this more kind of popular stuff, your 10 pounds a month is as good as anybody else's.
1: Yeah. One of the main kind of buzzword phrases that just kept being thrown around in all of the panels was glocalization, which I think is a great word. I find it really naff when people (laughs) throw these things together. But I think that was definitely something that was a really central part of Netflix's strategy. And it's definitely reverberated out into streamers and also, to be honest, public service broadcasters from different places are now trying to sell and distribute with that whole global but local outlook and yeah I definitely can see globalisation becoming the new the new tv
3: word of the year I'm not sure I'll be able to handle that. I'm not <laughs> sure I'd be able to forgive myself if I if I wrote glocalization in one of our <laughs> one of our digital live blogs. But but it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because it almost seems like it should be an oxymoron. And then I think also you've got to think about the way glo- what we refer to as global content. Has drastically shifted over the past five to 10 years. So I don't know, 10 years ago, global content was almost exclusively American, wasn't it? It was almost exclusively American. It was Hollywood. And now, global content is a dystopian South Korean. (laughs) Vitriolic commentary on capitalism.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I don't even think it's been ten years. I think it's been. I remember starting at Broadcast Intelligence. That was like four years ago, and Netflix were doing, you know, not a lot in any territory other than America. And considering they have kind of led the charge, to give them credit where credit's due for this globalization in four years to have that happen so quickly. It's so fascinating and I think they are to credit for us all being a bit more a bit more willing to watch subtitled programs or dubbed programs and that becoming a real key part of their strategy
1: yeah and it wouldn't be a MIPCOM kind of roundup without mentioning Squid Game because I think every single person that was talking about it everyone was so excited even if even if you didn't like it if you loved it it was on everyone's everyone's mind
2: I didn't. Uh, I watched the first half of it and then I was supposed to watch the second half of it with my partner but then whilst I was in MIPCOM she binge watched the rest of it without me so uh, I'm now in one of those odd circumstances I was trying to find some time to, to catch up and watch it but um terrible. it was something that everybody was, was mentioning it's it's a it's a great it's a great case study um and it's gonna be really fascinating we were we actually have, have done a little bit of work on some of the squid game data so far and it looks to me like it the netflix talking about it being one of the biggest is definitely definitely right the numbers are, are looking pretty big and we'll be releasing some data on those soon so um we're looking interested to see how it stacks up to those other shows that are kind of in that in that same bracket, you know, your Bridgertons, Queen's Gambits, Stranger Things, how, you know, these top performers on Netflix, how well, how well Squid Game stacks up compared to those would be really, really interesting to see.
0: Mm. And I know we're talking about MIPCOM, but it'd be just interesting to hear like what you make of Netflix changing the way they measure shows. They're dropping this two minute thing, which I think is definitely a welcome move as someone who then read about it and then thought yeah how many times do i watch the first 5 minutes of something and go mm, yeah not for me but i've given it a solid 5 minutes
2: yeah i think people like yeah people get quite frustrated about that but i mean we do see in the data that once you get into that kind of few minutes it does it does tend to fatten out the viewing levels mm. that the biggest drop off is in the um is in the first few minutes and I, I know we talked we talked about the possibility of 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 doing a bit of a podcast on understanding the importance of that first few minutes and i think that that's a it is, it is amazing um, what we see. So, I, it will make us, it will make a small difference, <laughs> the change. Um, but I think what people want is just consistency. Um, so, you know, how can I compare what Netflix is saying to report from a different, from a different company? But I think that you, you're only really going to get that with independent measurement, ultimately. So, yeah, that's hopefully where we might be able. To, well, meanwhile, <laughs> we might be able to uh, fit in.
1: So I guess kind of following on from squid game in that conversation one of the uh, other notes that i picked up on were they were talking about in terms of global tv trends not just region specific in scripted there's a really big upcoming trend about both scripted and non-scripted coming together whether that's factual based dramas or documentaries that have an element of drama added to them which i thought was another really interesting point from a kind of commissioning point of view uh, and then there's also a few examples of where a broadcaster or a streamer had done, say, a drama about a subject and then also commissioned an unscripted complement to that. So the first thing that popped to my mind was ITV Des, where... There was the drama with David Tennant and then they had a documentary. I think it was a two parter that kind of followed it up and then of finding new ways to just really expand content if, if something's a hit, which I found really interesting.
3: Yeah, that's really I think that's really interesting as well, Heather. I think it's the whole like I've seen as well. It wasn't I didn't see loads of it apart from i think there were was the presence of some video game producers there is this whole idea of like a transmedia narrative of like when you get a good story the way it can also i don't know if you've seen recently but there's been a dc batman podcast has um been put out at the same time and then it really makes sense kind of when you get onto a good idea and in terms of commissioning i guess one thing that producers could bear in mind is almost like Do you have more than just your product? Like, could your product become a whole world of content? I think that's a really strong position to come from when you have that whole kind of encompassing world.
0: I think it really goes back to that kind of niche, dedicated, fanatical audience that we were talking about earlier with the different streamers. You know, if you are... A fan of true crime and this you know this crime piques your interest you are going to watch the drama and you are going to watch the documentary to find out a bit more about like what happened in real life and you'll probably listen to a podcast of people discussing it it is very targeted as well in these areas of people these areas and subjects matters where people are very dedicated. It goes back to the fanatical audience that will come to multiple avenues of media if something is interesting to them and you know there's a lot of power in creating fans of what you're creating and giving them more.
1: Yeah and then finally I'd say in non-scripted the kind of key change and remit that was mostly discussed was this big pivot and also definitely a pivot that should have happened a while ago but nonetheless was this I'm hesitant to call it a trend but maybe a greater effort to reflect more parts of society more actively with activism and social change becoming a much more key focus and this isn't just in terms of race or gender or social class it was trying to find ways in which any kind of program can have an additional layer of social purpose or change. So one that was mentioned quite a lot was um, Channel 4 series Johnny's Blade Camp, which I found really interesting. And I think it will be definitely one to watch to see if it's something that is happening because it's current and it's something that Audiences have really demanded from broadcasters and streamers that they've just been trying to respond to, or whether this is a much more long-term change.
0: Hmm. They had something similar in the Paramount Plus um commissioning keynote. Um, they said, you know, if you obviously it's again a globalization commissioning streamer. Um (laughs) but they kind they said, you know, we're commissioning locally for global audiences, but if you're let me just find an actual direct note. So in the session, they said that, you know, shows that are like shows that contain social impacts are about the environment, health, equality, things like that that can be shown for a global audience will then get the global rollout. So whereas, you know, you might in the UK they've got Sebastian Caldwell and Daniel Powell commissioning from Channel Five, whereas they may commission a few things that are purely for the uk audience and if it does well globally that's nice like thank you very much um whereas you know if it's touching on these subject areas that are really important and like you know can cause social change paramount plus is prepared to give that a huge global push and a global rollout so i think definitely buying and the commissioning is really echoing what society at the moment feels in its need for change it's interesting because something we've noticed
3: Um, before in the data is that specifically documentaries that are normally kind of locally based, so I'm talking about, it was not a documentary about space or Hmm. nature, but something, for example, Madeleine McCann case, and also there was another kind of true crime docs. We found that they're very, they can do very well in the region in which the story was based, or which the events happened, because it's kind of fresh in those viewers minds, but they don't do as well globally. So I think it is you have to, I think, to have a documentary, which is globally received, is Mm. a challenge. (laughs) I think it's a good challenge to aim for. But from what we've seen, documentaries are mainly consumed on a regional basis.
0: That's really interesting
2: tend to do better in in the uk as well than they do in other european territories that we've mentioned the the generally documentaries i think like tiger king was absolutely massive in the uk and it didn't it did well over in europe but it didn't it didn't have quite as many viewers didn't have as strong reach as it does in the uk which i think is quite interesting so a lot of that american documentaries travel over here quite well but i'm not sure they work they work as well in in europe but then as sophia mentioned those kind of more local stories in europe do really really well um for a documentary so it's I think that's all part of the balance that, that these streamers are trying to find especially if they're targeting expansion in certain territories but unless less so in others where they feel like perhaps there's less headroom for them to grow as well
1: i can't fathom watching one episode of tiger king and not just having to watch the entire thing <laughs>
2: yeah it. i don't know whether they don't push it as much or, or or you know whether they think in in spain for example this isn't going to go down as well so we won't push it but i remember tiger king being right everywhere in the homepage of netflix and you know immediately you turn it on you suddenly got a trailer in your face and you think who is this nutbag and then you're and then you're <laughs> and then got you know you're absolutely fascinated i remember seeing it and it was very shortly i think after the first lockdown was first lockdown rules came into place and i remember texting my friends saying oh you're gonna absolutely love this one you know this is this looks incredible and then it was everywhere and um, I, I wonder how people we are very much influenced by what's been put on these home screens of streamers so i wonder whether it's, it's, you know, a lot of the time it's a chicken and eggs kind of scenario. You know, it did not do so well because it wasn't put up there or was it not up there because they didn't think it was going to do quite as well because they're not as popular. But yeah, it was just an interesting to see that some of the US docs don't do quite as well in Europe as they would do in the UK.
0: Mm. And
1: true crime are always always universally does well. Again, everyone was saying this year true crime's doing really well. I think one other one that was trending at the moment um, of interest was modern history rather than ancient history so that's another good thing to note. but yeah true crime documentaries will always travel I don't think I'm breaking new ground there
3: (laughs) well I think one I think one more thing I think I can add from what I've been looking at the data and unfortunately it's going to be adding to the glocalization content of this podcast we've said localization again (laughs) so so it's about formats. So if you think about it, there's this so a program that's done quite well on Amazon Prime, not in the UK, because I don't believe there's a UK version, but it's called LOL Last One Laughing. And um, I think the format is based on there's look, but so it's a global format but they've made local versions of it in Italy, in Germany, in France, using local popular comedians. Mm. I'm pretty sure the format is people tell a story and everybody tries not to laugh, <laughs> I think, is the competition. Yeah,
0: it's a, it was originally from Mexico. Um, it's a panel of comedians, and they take it in turns to try and make each other laugh. And I'm not sure whether it's, I think it's the last one to laugh, wins so it's like comedians really trying to flex their skills for other comedians which is also makes it very funny um, i don't know why they haven't done a uk one because i feel like that would be yeah, i'd love that. right up everyone's street they do have an australian one so if you are looking for some english language comedy it's on prime now but anyway sorry what was your point about formats? so
3: my point was that that was a version of kind of a global format that is obviously but has to be adapted locally. So the idea and the format is global, but that's something that has to be adapted locally because another thing that we've seen, not for every piece of content, but in a majority is that local comedy doesn't always travel globally.
0: Yeah, I can imagine local comedy being very subjective. But yeah, formats are just booming again, especially in the entertainment, which is nice to see. I think everyone's kind of got a lot, also a lot more format funds are being set up and there's less risk with for the format because you know that people have watched it, even if you, you know they've watched it in South Korea, like the case of The Masked Singer. If you know a certain percentage of the South Korean population have watched it and enjoyed it, you kind of can, you know, we're not all that different. And I think, you know, with these, these struggling times, with especially like on the PSBs globally, you know, they're trying to make budget stretch, they're trying to compete with the SVODs. Oh, this format that's already made and has been tried and tested has come through our door. I think rarely you're gonna completely lose with that. I wouldn't say it's a win-win necessarily, but I don't think you're gonna be like, oh no. And sometimes it's gonna be a win-win and you're gonna get the mass singer and you're gonna smash much all. safer bet. Yeah. Much safer bet. A hundred percent.
2: It must be interesting because I imagine the... With the PSBs, the the budgets are starting to be squeezed, so the, the 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 risk level when it comes to commissioning is is increased, and you and then having that kind of safe bet, whereas you know it's performed well here, so we think it will travel probably a less risky option mm. than going on like uh, taking a punt on something a bit more out there that's not been tried. Yeah, for
0: sure. But then if you do take the punt on something out there that's not been tried, and then you can sell those format rights globally.
2: You're so, laughing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you got your master singer or your last one laughing
2: Are they talking about that um kind of what Sophia was saying as well or just random point that I saw something on the other day that somewhere in the UK they're building a squid game experience so you can go there live and like play all the games that they did I don't think you were uh, I don't think the punishment for losing is quite as severe as it is in the show but um yeah yeah so I think that that's just another example of how these things kind of spawn with these different related uh, I imagine there'll be a game that'll probably yes. make some sort of game out of it it would be a really good one for netflix's game strategy as well so you know there's really interesting stuff that comes off the back of having a big hit
0: for sure wow i think that probably is all of our mip experiences summarized very nicely yeah thanks again for coming back to the podcast matt and sophia it's always a pleasure to have you
2: Well, thank you very much for having us Uh, again. We look forward to the next one.
0: Yes. And if you are interested in coming on the podcast or want any more information about becoming a member of Commission Index, we would love to hear from you. You can drop us a line on info at broadcastintel.com or come direct at firstname.lastname at broadcastnow.co.uk. Thanks for listening.
2: Bye.
0: Thank
1: you for listening. We'll be back soon with another podcast, but in the meantime, be sure to check us out and all the latest commissioning briefs and programme green lines at broadcastintel.com.